there and welcome to episode 39 of Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, where an artist and an economist walk into a podcast and talk about all things that make the world go round. Hey Stephen, how are you getting on? I'm good, Anne. I'm good. How are you getting on? I'm I'm good, you know. Uh, the year is early, but mad. So, but this is just the world we live. We're living through history. I, I remember I was... Uh, I, I went to visit Berlin in year, I think it's 2001. And I was like, you know, even like the Berlin Wall had only fallen like 12 years before. And I was like, wow, it's mad to be in a place where it feels like history is still happening. Yeah. Um, and now living through it, I'm like, yeah, um, uh, no, <laughs> yeah. not into not into this living through history business. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're we're about a week away from term restarting. So that's really interesting. Um, and. Yeah thinking a lot about you know what it means to I, I i always go through these paroxysms um every every um year i go like what is education how can i make it better how you know so so i've been having lots of conversations with people about like you know what does it mean to do what does it mean to learn things in in uh in 2020 you know or 2021 what does, <laughs> what does, it, what does that actually mean to to teach stuff uh, and all all that, and then that's sort of this week is the, is the ultimate navel gazing week, and then next week I actually get into recording all the lectures and and sort of doing that for everyone. And um, I've done a bit of it already, and then yeah, then just straight in. So so um, this has been like I have four or five projects that are kind of coming to a head at the same time. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think tomorrow I'm giving evidence before the budget committee of the Oireachtas and. There's stuff like that happening. So it's chock-a-block is, is, is the answer, but um, all in a good way. Uh, all in a good way. Just a regular old Thursday in the life of Stephen Kinsler. I yeah. think um, tomorrow I will be cleaning my bathroom. But there you go. Yeah, I, I too need to clean my bathroom. <laughs> um, come here to me. Uh, we, as we, time is always a little against us, but um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plow straight in because when we were talking about what we would talk about today, you had a very strong idea and uh, it, you want, you said, you know what I want to talk about this week? I want to talk about unions. So, so we have kind of talked about unions in the past when we talked about the four day week, which was kind of a, a mysterious dream pre COVID, whereas a lot of people are managing that now um, and that the unions gave us kind of the weekend and stuff. But tell us why you want to talk about unions. Uh, it's really because I've been a bit obsessed about them for for my whole career. Um, a part of my um, the the PhD that I did in the states was about wages and why wages don't always go up when they should. So when economists talk about wages, we don't just mean you know the the money you make from what you work. We mean incomes, really, and. Um, it's like the idea is that if you work harder and you're more productive, your wage should go up, right? Mm -hmm. That's naively the idea. And the, the the statistics show that since the 1970s, productivity has just gone up like as if like a 45 degree line, mm -hmm. but wages have been flat. Right. And so since the 70s, particularly in the US and particularly for lower uh, lower middle class and working class households, that's been true. And these are the households that are much more likely to be unionized, right? And so what that means is that like if, if wages are low are lower than productivity, people are working harder, more things are being produced, but the workers aren't seeing enough of the increase. 
to increase their living standards, right? Right. And that means that if you were a young man in the 1970s, you know, you are now, you know, in your 50s, 60s um, uh, today, and your kids are worse off than you were in the 1970s. Now they've got cell phones, right? Healthcare is better for them. Uh, you know, intercontinental flight is cheaper. You know, the quality of things has generally improved. Cars are safer, all that kind of stuff. But their living standards are poorer. So it strikes me that, and then you, then they vote for people who say, life is crap. How about you have not, how about I try to make things better for you? And they go, yes. And if that person happens to be a demagogue, then fine. So there's a link in my view between um, wages, are keeping up with living standards, particularly for lower and working class people mm-hmm. and households and political polarization. That's why I care about it, right? Um, and the, 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 the only technology, and I think I've said this before to you, the only technology that really helps increase wages is education and unions. Um, in Ireland, half of the people who are under 40 or slightly over 40 have undergraduate degrees of those people, half of them speak a second language, right? Okay. So they're they're doing okay, and but they're doing okay, but it's not uncommon to find somebody in the lower middle classes who has an undergraduate degree. Right. But if it's very uncommon to find somebody outside of the public sector who's a member of a union, and that's specifically true in Ireland. Um, and the reason I started caring about this, uh, I've, I've cared about it for a long time, as I said. But the reason that I, I thought we'll talk about it this week, is because Google wants to unionize. So the workers in Google have actually come out and said, do you know what? We wish to unionize. We want to join a union. Um, and we think it's a really important thing. Now, now, the workers in Google are not poor people. Okay, By and large, they represent some of the most qualified, um, uh, uh, most well-paid and best terms and conditions kind of workers in the world. I mean, on the, in the 7 billion, 7.6 billion humans, Google workers are some of the best taken care of. And they're going. I was in Google for a day one day and uh, I was doing a a workshop and um, like there was fridges with innocent smoothies. And then there was fridges with like Coke and Diet Coke. There was a stack of, uh, fruit fresh fruit and then there's a stack of tracker bars and then when you went down into the food course there was italian there was sushi there was all sides and 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 um and there was a gym and there was and buddha bags and air hockey or whatever uh now these people were then kind of inadvertently expected to work to live there somewhat because all this was all this was there i mean I know when I work somewhere, I bring my own lunch or I bring or I buy my own lunch, or whatever. Whereas if you're, you know, even cutting out your lunch and dinner costs yeah. for a week. Anyway, I, I was struck by the working conditions um, mm. of, of, of the of, of the, the people and they and you could tell as well, they were all well taken care of. So, yeah. yeah. And so you've, you've got wealthy people. Like mm. These are wealthy people, right? Um, and they're going, wow, we need to, we need to unionize. We need to get this together. And it's a, it, it, there's an interesting parallel there with the machinists of the 19th century. 
So in the 19th century, the, the, the idea that the union was the creation of like the working class necessarily is not strictly true. What happened was people who had skills and in the 19th century, you know, in the early 20th century, if you were, a, if you had like really, uh, if you were able to work in manufacturing, which was the growth industry at the time, it's hard to imagine it as being like Silicon Valley at the time, but it was, you know, if you could build cars or if you understood how to make things, mm. then you were, if you like, you were the Google employee of the time. And it was those people in the history of, of, of the union movement. It's really those people, those highly skilled people who, who knows they're commanding a, a high wage, right? Who go, do you know what? We need terms and conditions that are better yet again for ourselves, but also therefore for everyone else. And it's interesting to watch the language of unionization because unionization is just about give me more, right? Like, like fundamentally, it's about give me more. I want better terms and conditions. I want more stuff for me and people who are like me, who are workers, right? And, and the idea is collective, collective bargaining makes way more sense, right? And from the employer's perspective, it makes no sense, right? Because as an employer, you really don't want each employee knowing what, what they're earning. Yeah. Right? That's a terrible idea. You know, you want to, you want to, you want to take Anne and take Steve and just basically, you know, uh, Steve will work for a thousand, but Anne will work for 2000. And like, that's it's, just, it's way more likely uh, the other way around. But <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the world's greatest negotiator. You wouldn't send me into the Troika to negotiate on your behalf. Like, you know, um, or am I, you know, but anyway, yeah, that, that, that idea, but this, this, this idea that um, collectivization makes sense. Um, it's interesting. Now, 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 again, it's not necessarily wrapped up with left or right politics. You know, it's really just interest groups looking out for themselves at this point. And then it, 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 only later it gets wrapped up in the language of, um, you know, the language of the left, effectively. And then it gets wrapped up with socialism and communism and, you know, all that. But but uh, there, there's no necess- there's no reason necessarily to to give it that. You could you could you could tell a right wing story. Um, of, of unionizations really quite easily um, if you wanted. And so there's this investor guy, his name is Paul Graham. He set up a, he set up a thing called Y Combinator. Y Combinator is, is sort of a boot camp for high potential startups in Silicon Valley. And what you find is the best uh, startups in the world like Stripe and uh, Box and Dropbox and all these guys, they've all come through that program. Um, and Graham is a sort of famous, you know, essay writer as well, a public thinker. In 2007, he had an idea about where unions came from. And the idea was like really, I mean, it was provocative. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with it, but here's Graham's idea. Unions and mass unionization really came to be a thing because in the early, late 1930, 20th centuries, skilled workers were the most valuable thing. And you and there was competition for everything. So there were hundreds of car manufacturers, for example, um, you know, and, and, and engine manufacturers and so forth. And they all knew that they needed to get bigger, quicker, build more stuff, sell more things, and then eat up the competition and become giants, right? So therefore, they needed people who could make things faster. Um, and so they just they, they just paid the best wages, right? So um, Henry Ford famously, uh, uh, in the middle of a depression, paid double the wages of um thank you paid double the wages of uh 
Sorry, uh, yeah, just a little aside. Somebody has just delivered a cup of coffee to Stephen. Yes, right? I know. I know. I hope, a cup I of hope, coffee. I hope uh, my your lo- family are unionized. My, my lovely wife. Um, uh, yes, yes, they are. They are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this idea then of 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 um, this idea that oh, it's lovely coffee as well. I can smell it. This <laughs> this idea then of um, of people paying more for high skilled labor and all that. It, it, it gets instantiated. But Graham's point was, if you were a, uh, the manager, and this is this is the original bit, if you were the manager of a company at the time, you would have gone, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever you need. Just, just if you if if I need to pay you double, I'll pay you double because it doesn't matter. I'm just going to stick it under the price later on, and it's gonna it's gonna just make me more money later, and I don't care. I just need to ship a product, make the profit, eat the other guy. That's what I need to do, which is fine, and it's all good in the hood, and, and everybody's uh, happy with that. The issue is that's not what's happening anymore. You're not over-investing in labor, right? You're over-investing in software. You're over-investing in hardware. You're over-investing in buildings. You're not over-investing in labor, right? And so uh, Graham's point is, yeah, people are more productive, but only because everything else around them is getting better. And so therefore wages need to just stay flat. Now, that it's it's at it's this exact moment. So this it's at this exact moment that uh, you know in the in the seventies or eighties that the basically union busting movements happen in Thatcher in the eighties and so forth. Um, they break the unions and and the and unionization has fallen. It was about sixty percent, seventy percent in the private sector. Now you, you typically the public sector is always unionized. Yeah. Um, so it's not a it's not a helpful comparison. But so everyone else and it it just it just falls off. It's like twenty percent now. In, in the United States, you know, like, wow. it, like it, it falls precipitously straight down the UK, the US, Ireland, Australia, um, you know, everywhere in, in France. Now that just because people aren't members of unions doesn't mean unions are politically powerful. They are in France. Union membership is very low and has been for for, for decades. But the unions are incredibly politically powerful. So yeah, it's not really a in France, like France, I yeah. lived in France for a year yeah. uh, 1990,000 and every month some major service was on strike. Yep. Everything. At one point, the ATMs were on strike. Like, it was just <laughs> gas. <laughs> and the, I remember the, the fire brigade were on strike, but they weren't because they couldn't not do their job. But they drive around with signs and it is strike on strike in, in French is en grève. Yes, they yes. drive around like en grève, en grève. But then they... Yeah. And, and I remember this wouldn't have... Now we've seen like the um, the the school strike here, yes. you know, with, with climate change. But when I was, when I was young, you didn't go on strike from school. Like you, you wished you could, but I remember at one point seeing secondary school students on strike in France, you know, for some reason. And I was like, geez, they just, they're just so in tune with their yep. rights. And like, it's yeah. exhausting sometimes um, it, because every month, some major service, like the yep. trucks run strike. So the supermarkets were empty yep. and but I was, I, at the same time, I was like, well, isn't it, it's annoying sometimes as a member of the public, but also it just keeps manners on the powers that be, yep. you know, um, the, 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 I think, I think there, there's that moment, right. Where people are justifiably striking for terms and conditions. And then there are, there are moments where people are just kind of taking the piss because they know they can Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I mean, I, I think unions, the strikes are partic- are politically very unpopular. Yeah. 
They're very unpopular because the media tend to demonize those who are striking and tend not tend to go, oh, this is terrible. You know, you're just discom- you're discomforting, you know, uh, all these other people. Um, it tends to be the case in the health sector, for example, that, um, you know, nurses were, were, were going to go. We're going to go. I think they did go on strike, in fact, um, mm. two years ago. Um, you know, and it, like it, it, it came down to quite serious stuff. You know, the then Minister for Health was very strong saying, no, no, look, it's not acceptable for you to strike. You, you just need to put up with your terms and conditions. Mm. But there, there's a difference between that necessarily and the um, and the future. So we've got like just so just think about it. We've got the Google Google workers demanding u- union um, uh, membership. You mm-hmm. have and much of the private sector in Ireland, in Ireland particularly, is not unionized um, mm. in any way. Um, and I mean, it should be right. I mean, at, at one level, it should be, but but uh, because unions increase wages. And we need wages to go up because the price of everything is going up. You know, they increase wages, yeah. but they also watch your back. Uh, it's funny. I was talking. I was talking to Jenny before uh, recording this to you, and I was telling her what we were talking about. And she, like, she works for the in the student. Well, it's called Student Life, but it's essentially the Student Union. Um, and um, like, she made a point that. Um, about students and yeah, not students. Sorry, unions in general. You know, the the, the job is to advocate for the person, even if they're a gal or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's not a judgment call. It's like, well, yeah. you remember this, and it's funny because I'm freelance, and any job I had before I was freelance was not in a big company. So I've never been in a union, and I've never really? felt yeah. Even as a even as a writer, like so, you know, the, the, or or as an actor, like you, you, there isn't there an actors union where you work there, scale and all that. Equity is there, um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I, like there was a time when I had kind of meant to check it out, but the, it's a slight issue. If I've never lived in Dublin as an actor, and a lot of the jobbing I've done has been kind of a bit sporadic. And do you know what? It's coming down to the fact of, and I was kind of talking about France earlier, knowing your rights or knowing your entitlements, which can be exhausting sometimes and annoying, but it's very important. And it's something I have never actively pursued as much because it's kind of, I suppose it's the nature of my personality and and the personality of a lot of freelance artists I know is you're you're you don't think about systems as much you think more outside of them and therefore you often miss out on a lot of entitlements is what happens Interesting. and mm-hmm. so um yeah it's it's been a, a big thing I, I should look into but and actually one last little thing about france i just remembered a friend of mine while i was there just when you mentioned the nurses who i mean good god pay nurses properly but um they went to paris uh, for a day and they couldn't get up the Eiffel Tower because the nurses were on strike <laughs> and somebody else I know went you know and the Louvre was on strike that day and then they went to Père Lachaise the big cemetery and the cemetery was on strike so yep. it's very funny France yeah. go on anyway back to back to you no no but I, I worked in I worked in I was a professor in Paris and um, 2015 and uh, I don't think there was a single month where really? you want to go somewhere, anywhere, and I'd be like, "Oh, you gotta do that? Why not?" Well, they're on strike, so 
So, yeah, yeah. and and I think they they were politically, socially incredibly powerful, and and they're they're and the thing about it is they're supported as well, mm. right? They're like the, the the public support them. I don't I don't know that they're that the public and the the media necessarily. I mean, there there's a there's a great quote on Marx where Marx says, you know, the first the first job of any employer is to pit employee against employee. That's the first mm-hmm. job. The first job is to cause classes of workers to fight amongst each other. Mm-hmm. And any anytime they're fighting, you're winning, basically. And over the long run, you will your your return on capital will increase. Um, and, and and our media do demonize because like I think we're we're a colonial post-colonial nation where we want to be good boys and girls. And to be seen to be stepping out of that is very easy to frame in a look at these naughty children kind of thing you know because people don't want we don't want to stand out and look rebellious sometimes uh or maybe i'm wrong i don't know but i i think there's a, something in our psyche that makes it very easy for our media to undermine people who are advocating like like let's say nurses i mean yeah there's just even this whole frontline worker things let's clap them or i don't know let's pay them properly <laughs> like as yeah. opposed to you know i'm not saying consultants should not be paid money but the the disparity is so insane yeah. for the time and uh, and the and the level of work and care anyway i am digressing again um but i suppose that's what i bring to this podcast isn't it Stephen? anecdotal nonsense um yeah so this google unionizing is is it going to happen yeah i think so um but but think about it in its broader trend right mm. so we've we we up to the, up to the 1970s the basic objective of all government policy was full employment a job for everyone right, right? And that meant the wages had to go up and it meant that inflation was quite high. So the price of everything went up and it meant that the government was incredibly powerful. Central banks are really weak. You know, it meant that you couldn't, you know, like, like there was lots of things that you couldn't do at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now you can like, like in the 1970s, it would have been next to impossible to buy like, I don't know, a holiday home in Italy, you know, now, but, you, but because capital, it was very difficult to move capital across borders. Now it's like, yeah, just buy a house. Just just literally just buy it. And your solicitor will send the money over. You'd be grand, you know. Mm. Um, but inflation is really low. We don't we don't have any commitment to full employment, right? Nobody says, it, nobody says these days, it's the government's job to make sure that everybody who wants a job has one. It's not what they say, right? The government says it's our job to get the playing field right so that if so that the hardest working people can get the best job, right? Mm. It's quite a different thing. Um, the government doesn't view it as its job to save the economy, you know, or save firms within the economy, at least outside of COVID. But this is the other thing, right? So we've got Google unionizing, we've got the gig economy, we have Uber having to shut down in California because they've been, you know, all of a sudden, it went, when when the taxi drivers were were uh, when the taxi drivers were proclaimed by the courts as employees of Uber, Uber had to shut down in California. Like well, that just tells you, like if you can't actually afford your employees, the business model isn't that brilliant. I missed that really. Yep. Oh and my then, god. Um, and then interestingly, in the in the in the um, presidential elections, a proposition was passed called Section Two Hundred and Thirty um, in California, which might remove those rights again. So uh, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really interesting story. Actually, we might come back to it. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah um, and particularly how money shapes politics. Um, 
because uh, I think it's it's really interesting. And I mean, that's just not an, not necessarily in the United States uh, case. It's true here too. So um, the the third thing, which is which is like, is, so you've got the Google guys, the effectively the mi- the machine operators of the twenty first century, right? Yeah. You've got those people advocating for better workers' rights. You have um, you have the gig economy, which is increasing in scale and scope. And now you have homeworking as a uh, 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 because of COVID. So like, uh, and you have the government stepping in saying, actually we will kind of create a job for everyone. If, you know, whatever whatever you're doing in life, we're gonna give you 350 quid a week, right? We kind of will, we will pay you. And what is for what is a good wage for lots of people, right? Um, I mean, it's not, a, it's not nothing. 350 quid a week is actually more than, you know, people working in childcare settings are, for example. So it's quite a, it's quite a lot for lots of employees. Um, it certainly saved uh, lots of households from destitution, um, and uh, the the government is now doing that. It's saying, no, no, you know, we're going to step in. We're going to make this happen for lots of people, um, which is great. But that's going to unwind, and then then the question is, what comes next? Right? So you've got all these millions of people um, standing in their bedrooms, zooming away like you and I are, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's grand. Things will go back to normal once the vaccine gets rolled out but things will be different. They always have been. Pandemics change the structure of societies. That's the one thing that we can say. How it's going to change, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure a lot of it means doing this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? So if we're doing this kind of stuff more, then it sort of tells me that we're, we're, we're beyond atomized. We're not even part of the same office. We're not yeah. even part of the same firm. We're just kind of Stephen Inc. and Anne Inc., mm-hmm. you know? And you know that's great at one level because it means like I can sell my services in uh, India and Canada and whatever you know, um, and, and so can you, and, and that's that's great. But it's also really bad because it means that we're in competition with other workers from India and Canada and China and so forth. Um, so so there's the, there's this kind of hyper competitive dynamic that's about to be unleashed um, amongst all kinds of workers, not just not just people who 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 um, not just people who you know yap on the internet for a living, um, but but lots of other people. And so, how do you uh, uh, cope with that as an individual? But more importantly, how does the union movement, which is in you know again long term, multi decadal decline, how does it cope with it? Uh, you know, is there a union for workers who work on the internet? Mm-hmm. No, right? I mean, no. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Are there? Are there? Are there? Are there I know that the, the the point of the point that most employers would make, to be fair to them, is we don't need a union because we we pay we pay our people really well, mm-hmm. and the terms and conditions are great, and, and you know we pay their health insurance and there's a gym and blah blah blah, blah right, um, so we don't need a union. We just don't need the hassle of a union. But that also means that the employer, the employee, has to be okay with that, right? And I mean, yeah. I think to be honest, most most employees when they say like i have to pay money to a union they go no not paying it mm-hmm. why because i i if something goes wrong on my job i'm just going to go get another job fundamentally right, right? I kind of job exist. for life thing yeah. is, is less of a, a thing kind of. ah, jobs for life like they don't even exist in the public sector let alone yeah. in, in in um you know, people move around in the public sector a lot. That, like the notion of of job for life, it's very like it. it uh, I won't say it doesn't exist. 
but it's really, really, really rare. Yeah. You know, like well, I've said this to you yeah. before that my, you know, my dad was a, a lecturer and um, there were five of us and my mum was a housewife and we were grand, do you know? And he had that mm-hmm. job from late 70s to whatever, 15 years ago or so. Um, so around 05 or so, wow. 05, 06. And, but, you know, <laughs> and I remember telling you that, you know, because he, you are him uh, many years later, you know, yeah. an academic, whatever. And, uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't publishing books. He wasn't going to loads of conferences. He wasn't pushing, pushing, pushing to, to up his profile. He was just a happy, hopped over the wall, did his lectures, came home for lunch, you know, and, and now yeah, the world's, I'm sure a lot of ambitious people, colleagues who did do all the other stuff, but that wasn't the thing that had to be done as an academic to keep yep. your profile, to keep it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like it was the dream, the, the happy, relaxed professor dream kind of yep. thing. And, yep. uh, you know, which I kind of realized, Oh, that, that, that's gone now. <laughs> you know, oh, that doesn't exist. That exactly. does not exist anymore. Um, like it doesn't, it, what, what you found though, with your dad's generation of lecturers, you found a real, real commitment to teaching. Mm. So they, they really like, like that was their pretty much only job, you know, they just did teaching and that made them excellent teachers. Um, whereas these days, an academic in Mary I has to teach, they have to do research, they have to administer the university, mm-hmm. they have to get money in the door. So they've got to go out and get grants mm-hmm. and they have to go out and visit early childhood settings, you know. Yeah. Um, like, and there was, there was you know. bits of that. He did have to do some of that stuff, but it yeah. wasn't. It was because he wanted to, in a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He, but yeah, it's a very different. Like, my dad is still, he still loves the place. He goes for his walks there. He's, it's in his heart. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, and it's, and it's very lovely, but it's very, it does seem like a very wonderful thing that is just of the past, you know? And oh. I feel, I feel really lucky my dad got that and I got to grow up with that. But, um, and yeah, they, I'm pretty sure they were unionized, but, um, oh, it, they were. Interesting enough with unions, I mean, it's funny because you say they didn't particularly come out of socialism or the left or anything like that. No, the, the thinking was appropriated. See, like all things, like all things, you, you wrap, you can wrap a movement in language. You can wrap language in a movement. It's always about like fundamentally, it's about power. Mm. And it's about getting everyone kind of organized behind a story to go in a particular direction. And once you do that, typically mm. speaking, People will follow after it going, oh, the reason that happened is blah. Why? Because some academic lad needs to write a book about it, right? <laughs> promote it to professor. You know, oh, the reason is because of the, the, you know, the inherent neoliberalism of the union movement or some other shite like this. It'll be great. Yeah. But, I, it reminds so, me of a friend of mine is a theatre company in Dublin. And, you know, I, I remember meeting them and, and I was like, oh, yeah, your stuff, it's like post-dramatic theatre. I, I did a module on it and that. And she went, and she was quite young. She was a lot younger than me, and she's like, "Oh, is that what it's called? We, this is just we're just doing the thing we like, you know." But yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah. it's this form that has only formed in the last twenty years or whatever, you know, or thirty right. years or so. Um, but interestingly, as well, considering we are Limerick people and unions are being appropriated, like in nineteen nineteen, uh, you had the Limerick Soviet, mm-hmm. which I was in a, a show of in twenty nineteen called Bread Not Profits, and the big story was. It was it was kind of uh, the city went into lockdown and it was it was a, a response to British 
martial law, but yep. instead of people like instead of a revolution and people taking up arms and that, workers just went on strike and the city stopped yep. and they managed it themselves. And the power of that was mm. you know, it's it 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 there <laughs> was a great tagline kind of when it's when a city and a bunch of workers stood up to an empire, you know. And what was interesting about that was it wasn't just like a a revolution or a, or a rebellion it was actually a strike yep. that then was a rebellion against yeah. uh, British authority and it crossed so it brought in it, it, it brought in the the religious people and the non-religious people you know it, mm-hmm. it, it crossed a lot of sectors but it meant then obviously it couldn't last because they were very easily divided in the end but yeah Limerick had a big, big, big marker in its history because of of unions. Mm. You you see that you see that sometimes in some issues they just they cross all classes and all boundaries. You can pick two really simply. So in Iceland and in Norway and Sweden, um, they they had household labor strikes. So the women just said, "You know what? We're sick of this, so we're not going to." We're not going to uh, change the babies. We're not going to make the dinners. Uh, sex is definitely off the table. You know, it ain't happening. We're just literally down in tools, right? Um, and uh, that resulted in really significant changes, uh, really significant labor law changes. The other one, which is kind of ongoing, success yet to be determined, is the school strikes for the climate, where you've got young people led by Greta um, uh, Thunberg. And Thunberg, in Limerick, in Thunberg. Limerick, uh, Thunberg and Limerick, we've our own little. It's Greta uh, Sirsha Exton. Yes, indeed, indeed, uh, the daughter of one of my colleagues, actually. Uh, ah. Yeah, 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 um, and uh, yeah. Um, so, so that's all. That, I mean, you know, we won't, we won't know if that if that is a success for for a long time. But you know, the 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 idea again, it, it just kind of comes out and says, no, this isn't happening. I mean, you could imagine a situation where, you know, there, there's a housing problem problem in Ireland at the moment. And of all the young people in the country who can't get a house went, do you know what? I'm actually stopping. This is stupid. I'm, I'm locked into a system that privileges others, that hurts me. I'm just stopping until somebody wakes up and figures out a way to get me a house that isn't going to leave me in penury till I'm 67. Yeah. Right. And I think that, 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 that's, an, that's a very complicated argument. Right. But it's there. The, the anger's there. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen's calling on the youth of Ireland to go on strike. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. actually, it's funny. There's a play I was in, and then I directed years later called Lysistrata. It's an ancient Greek play. And it's funny when you said that thing about Iceland, and it's about the women going on strike. Yeah. And they they basically refuse sex, and they also occupy the Acropolis, which is where all the money is kept. So the uh, war, they're sick of the men being at war and they just want them to come home. And so the idea is that this strike, it, it, it's an amazing, it's, it's a guy, it's a funny play. It's a big, it's a kind of um, a, a farce comedy, but there's a lot of strong political stuff in it. And, sure. uh, but yeah, like that's back in ancient Greek times. And, you know, they did it in Iceland. What year was that? Uh, I want to say 2012, but it could be wrong. Yeah, they just went. Do you know what? We're not doing this anymore. Like, but th- there is that. There is there is that moment where, and I think there's a you know, Una Mullally writes a lot about this in her columns. You know about like Ireland has changed. The political system hasn't caught up with it. 
there's a lot of there are social movements that 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 it, like we're we're much more socially liberal than our politics maybe allows us mm-hmm. um, necessarily because it's coalitional politics for the lower lowest common denominator and it's like well okay you, you, if you accept that there is a very strong coalition for that mm-hmm. well then the really interesting question is what is the the model of economics and society that's consistent with really liberal social um, values. Like, like you should be able to do what you want. You should be able to get a house if you're working pretty hard. Um, it should be the case that it should be the case that um, yeah, early childhood education should be free, and it should be the case that uh, uh, you know health sector should be pretty well resourced. And um, you know, take the take the education system off the church. The usual thing, which basically turn us all into Norway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is grand. No problem with that at all. Um, uh, the problem with it is that that uh, we can't pay for it um, because it implies in order to do that, I've actually done the maths on this. Um, in order to do that, the people who are, so the people, the almost all of the state is paid for by the top. Like if you can break that, imagine that the state is 10 people, mm-hmm. right? And each of these 10 people pay some tax. The people, the top two people pay 80% of the tax either through corporate profits, through their rental profits, or through their highest wages. Because we've got a really highly progressive tax system, which means the people at the top pay loads of tax, Mm -hmm. and you only have to go very low down to pay no income tax at all. So we have 2.3 million workers in Ireland. Only a million workers actually pay any income tax. Wow. Which is why, in the crisis, all the workers who were uh, put onto the PUP payment, we were like, oh my God, income tax is going to be devastated. It barely moved. Wow. They didn't pay tax. They didn't pay any income tax in the first place. <laughs> you <Okay>. know? <laughs> and then we were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like it, it's, yeah. So, so um, it's a whole other, it's a whole other podcast, right? But the okay. basic idea of if you want this amazing society, you have to pay for it, not them, mm. you. Yeah, and you as everyone, because because the state can't fund it themselves. So I've written a couple of articles about this, and it's amazing the okay. reaction. Stephen Kinsler is absolutely right. Like I literally wrote one called "Why You Need to Pay More Tax." People on Twitter were like, "Stephen Kinsler is absolutely right. They need to pay more tax." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Listen, Stephen, let's 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 keep the gold for another podcast. That let's sounds it. it's great and it'll be lovely, lovely to talk that through. Um so listen, have a lovely week and oh. as always, as I say, good to talk. And until next week, have a good one. Chat you soon. You have been listening to Anne and Steve Talk Stuff, a Limerick Post podcast produced by Eric Fitzgerald. Theme tune is performed and composed by David Blake. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends. You can now follow the show on Twitter at Anne Steve Talk. Get Stephen at Stephen Kinsler. He's a Stephen with a PH. Anne at Anne Blake 78. That's an Anne without an E. And the Limerick Post at Limerick Post.